Oh, that's an intro. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, guys, to another episode of the Christian Buddy Podcast. I am now with the awesome Chase. How are you going today? I'm doing doing well. Uh, other than being a little under the weather, you might hear it <clears throat> in my voice. But other than that, I'm doing well. Now, as long as you can't spread it through the uh, virtual world, then it's it's yeah. all good, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not COVID, so it's not okay. COVID. No, <laughs> no worries. All right, man. Well, um, I want to give you a bit of an introduction. So, you are the founder of. Uh, you've got a bit of a side hustle, uh, perfect my podcast. So, mm-hmm. the um, I'm, I'm assuming the aim of that is to help small businesses uh, create better content for their podcasts. Uh, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. And you also are a. You have another side hustle. Do you mind expanding into just a bit of background for yourself, just for the audience to kind of know who you are? Yeah, so there's uh, a few different aspects of my life right now. Um, one, I'm a new dad of like six weeks, so that's like probably the highlight Congratulations. Uh, of who I am. Uh, thank you. But I also am a Spartan athlete. Uh, that I, I was a college athlete for cross country track, indoor and outdoor track. Um, and now I'm getting into Spartan athletics. So um, obstacle course racing and the elite level as well. So that kind of led into my one podcast called the science of sports recovery. Uh, I started that to learn really the ins and outs of how to not get burnt out through training and how to make the most of your training. So it, with my busy schedule, I can recover fully from, you know, high doses of high intensity work rather than, um, you know, doing high volume and low intensity work. So that's what I'm doing there. And then I also, um, I started a, a business called perfect my podcast last uh, December. Um, basically because of my first podcast, I, I was like, Hey, I'm a podcaster. I don't know any other podcasters. So I just threw it out there. Like anybody want to network with, uh, another podcaster like you guys and, um, a bunch of people hit me up on Facebook. We started having networking events and then I saw it as an opportunity to serve that audience. So I've been doing um, podcast editing, post-production uh, for them since December uh, for a few clients. And that's just turning side hustle to full-time hustle here in a month. So Cool. Uh, if, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of unpack that your Perfect My Podcast um, yeah. Yeah. So how did that all get started? Sorry, is, is that your business or is that um, you work with a few other people or how does that how does that work? Yeah. So it's my business and the whole kind of backstory of it. Like I said, I started this Science of Sports Recovery podcast because uh, it, that was actually my second podcast. I started one during COVID to kind of highlight the small business owners in the Sioux Falls area where I live. And I quickly realized like I loved podcasting. Conversation was one of my strengths as a person. So I was like, it just made sense to do more of that. So that, that's when I started the Science of Sports Recovery podcast. And I've always had like this kind of entrepreneurial bug and stuff. And I've always known like I wanted to start my own business. I had a little marketing company uh, when I was back in college, just to kind of uh, a few different clients there to make ends meet while having a busy schedule in college. And so I knew I was going to get back to something like that eventually. And it just like 
I I literally it, it started by I was like lonely podcasting. I was like, hey, I, <laughs> I I record in my office, I edit in my office, I upload in my office, and then it's out to the world, and I hope people see it. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't know if I'm doing things right or wrong or or what have you. So I I posted in three different Facebook groups, and I was like, hey, if I hosted a live virtual networking event for podcasters like would anybody come i was like i just want to meet people you know and overnight i had 300 either comments or messages in my inbox and i was like hmm, there's something here and you know wow. the podcasting industry is growing so rapidly there's new more new and new people getting into the industry and wanting to kind of test their uh test the waters with podcasting but they some you know, have a business and they want to start a podcast, but don't want to learn all the audio editing, the post-production stuff, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So they'll hire somebody like me to, you know, kind of work through that for them. And sure. there's other people that are like, hey, I want to start a podcast as a side hustle that will eventually, you know, pay me for this. And you know, a year or six months or three months, you know, whatever their timeline is, it's all different to them. Uh, but I started getting more and more into the podcast community. And and those are just the, some of the things that I was hearing, like, I don't want to do all this editing work. And I want to learn how to grow. So um, that's kind of really mm. where the the birth of this came was like, hey, I can do editing work. I don't mind that. Yeah. And honestly, I um, quickly grew a team for myself to do all of my editing for my podcast that's kind of like a proof of concept so then i could go out and do other people's as well and utilize the team there mm, cool i, I want to kind of flip the script and because uh, i've been running uh, this is about my 35th episode of my podcast mm. and yeah, i guess it's just maybe a bit of advice like i'm trying to yeah market my podcast and grow my podcast i've been thinking of facebook ads um, and just kind of just to push it that way. Do you have any advice in along those lines on how to grow the podcast? Um, as far as Facebook ads or just ads in general? Um, yeah, I guess is it worth spending the extra dime, the extra money on Facebook ads to get that extra reach? Or what? what what's your opinion on that? Um, so my opinion on, on Facebook ads is you have to have a purpose with it. So if you're sending somebody to like Apple, for instance, or Spotify, that's probably not going to be worth spending money on because one, you don't know, like, okay, if they click the link in the ad, did they actually go through and listen to it? Cause there'll be people that click a link on accident. There'll be people that, you know, click the link and then say, Oh, this is a podcast. I wasn't expecting that and leave, you know, and it's hard to determine with such limited stats on podcasting. It's hard to determine like, is my ad actually working? Um, so what I suggest is to have kind of a, a lead magnet, if you will, it's kind of a term of the industry that corresponds with your podcast. Like, so for instance, for my science of sports recovery podcast, I might have a lead magnet that says, uh, you know, five ways or five signs of burnout for athletes, uh, yeah. you know, catch it before it's too late. And then if they're interested in that, they're probably interested in my podcasting content. So then you direct them to a landing page 
to have them download your lead magnet. You get the email and then the email is where you're um, telling people about your podcast. So it's indirectly, but as your email list grows, so will your podcast numbers if you're telling people about it. Mm, okay, got you. Got you. Is that the model that you adopted? Oh, sorry, you, you, uh, you, it was the model that you adopted. Sorry, yeah, it was. Yeah, okay. So, um, and, I, and I'm doing something unique now. Um, I'm, I'm launching another podcast called How to Make Money Podcasting. And that's actually releasing in a week here. And what my strategy here, uh, I, so I've been hosting these networking events. And so I've been getting emails from that of, of podcasters. Uh, so yeah. I kind of have a, a small email list built up already. But cool. now I'm actually hosting a live virtual event, um, uh, Podcasters Growth Summit is what I'm calling it, at the end of April. We already have 200 registrants. We're on track to get about 1,000 registrants for that. So now I'll have 1,000 uh, email lists that I'll tell about my podcast when it launches and have that. So um, it'll pay for itself the summit will by sponsorships and affiliate commissions and that kind of stuff but then it's also building an audience for my podcast because i know if you're going to a, a summit about podcasting you're probably interested in making money from your podcast so um so that's another way that i have done and you get a lot cheaper uh emails that way you know you can spend a dollar and a quarter uh, per email on that rather than trying to you know spend a dollar and a quarter for maybe a listen right right okay cool that's yeah uh, definitely gonna take some of that on board because um i guess <clears throat> i'll just give you a bit of context so i've kind of started this podcast and i'm just mm -hmm. basically live streaming i think uh my mum and my dad are probably the only i've got like they're the only massive fans <laughs> at the moment, you know so um, i mean a few yeah. friends here and there but um I really want to push the growth of this podcast, and um, I think I'm going to start implementing a few new, few new, few new things. So, um, but I'd definitely be interested in, uh, yeah, joining joining you in that um, that summit, or yeah, I'd definitely be interested in that because, yeah, I feel like I'm not doing everything right. I feel like I'm missing a few things. I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm well, the editing. Here, yeah, here's the secret for you, Christian. You'll always miss a few things. You're never going to yeah. get it hundred percent right. You know, yeah, you just right. get in it. You're going to get it more right than you were before. Yeah. 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 For sure. All right. Um, let's, uh, all right. So when, when does the, uh, so when does the podcast summit begin? Like are you kind of pushing it out soon or, um, yeah, April 23rd and 24th is when it begins. We have, um, 11, sessions um every hour on the hour um three or four on that friday which would be friday united states time it'll probably be like saturday morning in australia yeah. um and then we have uh, like six or seven hours of content lined up for saturday um central time here as well it'll be uh one speaker on a certain topic we have topics everywhere from like voice health um and microphone technique to um uh, you know wow. how to build a mastermind from your podcast to you know make six figures a year with that as well so you know arranging of topics of kind of the basics to um 
you know, overarching like what's possible with a podcast. Uh, and uh, we will ha also have live Q&A sessions with every um, speaker as well. So you'll get the chance to, uh, you know, type in your questions and uh, potentially come on stage. And then we have um, some really good sponsors that are partnering with us to get some good deals too. So um, you can you can come and, and utilize that some summit only deals so cool. it'll be fun and i'm just curious from a technical point how are you guys hosting the webinar is it just through some software and then people just join that link or something or how does how does that work yeah so we're actually using a, a new platform called airmeet.com and uh they're, they're relatively new i think they're like a year old or something like that but the the premise of it is we have like a registration page where you fill out and then uh then we upload all the emails and stuff to airmeet and then um the day of you go in and you type in your email and then you're you know, have that access to it um but then when somebody goes into the actual summit you're presented with like if you've ever attended a live conference, it's very similar to that where you're presented with, hey, here's what's on stage right now speaking. You can join the speaking stage yeah. or you can go to like there. It's called tables where you can network with other people that are at the event. If this session that's live right now isn't really what you want to be talking about or, or listening to you can actually go network with other people and and have smaller conversations and then there's the arena where it has all the booths of vendors and, and sponsors uh, that are giving you uh, you know special deals for the summit in case you want you know to utilize like a website or uh, we're partnered with remastered media so if you are, are struggling mastering your media if you've you know got the editing down but you just want that extra touch to sound great on your podcast uh, they have you know that ai software for you as well so just things like that and then you'll always be able to chat like there'll be a running chat through the whole um summit as well that you can you know participate in as well cool that sounds awesome yeah dude uh, i think uh i think this whole notion of online communication, like talking with people through applications, it's taking a new turn now. It's, it's, it's almost, it's so widely accepted now that, yeah, man, ever since COVID, yeah. it's just like, this is the new way of communication now. It's just, um, yeah, yeah, man. It's, and, and I think there's still an old school mentality of uh, we need to see things in the physical and we need to touch and grab and smell. And, and that's still, I still appreciate that, but now yeah, man, the technology is taking a new turn now, and it's um, it's yeah. exciting. It's it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, I've I've been amazed on like how deep a, of a connection you can make with somebody virtually, uh, never meeting <laughs> face to face. And you know, I was at the beginning of COVID. I was in software sales, and if you would have told me that like you know I was going to do a majority of my sales never meeting the person in person. Um, you know, it was like, no, you're crazy, <laughs> but that's the world we live in now. So it's nuts. And now like AI, um, AI is crazy, dude. Like I, I, I saw this, this thing the other day where a, this software was creating blog posts. So mm -hmm. you just put in a few keywords. Um, maybe you've seen it. Uh, it's just amazing. Now AI is yeah. really taken, taken off now. Um, yeah, no, I, I know. Can, I, I, 
I was going to say, I know somebody who's built a multi-million dollar business based on AI writing his blog posts for him and no. based, based on like the, the current, what happened in the stock market today. And then like, it just has an AI script that basically writes the blog post for him and it's cranking it out and stuff. So it's like uh, crazy. That's a good business idea. I'm writing that down now. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. The, 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 it's like endless possibilities with AI, um, I mm-hmm. feel. And it's really exciting. Um, yeah. Uh, so the science of sports recovery. So what what have you learned? What's the biggest uh, lesson that you've learned doing this podcast? Um, I think the biggest thing I learned doesn't necessarily actually have to do with recovery. Um, but just like, if you want to learn about a subject, uh, there's no better way than starting a podcast on it because you get to talk to, you know, very smart people. It gives you an opportunity to actually, you know, reach out and have a conversation with them. Uh, you know, I've talked to numerous uh, physical therapists, doctors, you know, researchers, professional athletes on the show, and they all have, you know, their perspective on, on recovery. And obviously, I've learned a lot about recovery, too. But I think the biggest thing is just, hey, it, like, I wouldn't have access to these people if I didn't start a podcast. And now I have some sort of like influence in the sports recovery world where like you know when i started i was a a nobody like nobody heard of me and stuff so um that that's cool but as far as like if you if you want like actual recovery um thing that i've learned i think i've underestimated the um mobility aspect of recovery me personally i know there's people that are like mobility like is is first but I was a runner and all I had to do was run straight. So my arms went like this, you know, in a forward motion, my legs went in a forward motion all day, every day. And I had no like strength in or range of motion in any other motion besides that. And it led to um, a lot of tightness, a lot of soreness, lower back problems and, and that kind of stuff. And now training for Spartan, um, you have a lot of different movements and I just feel better as an overall like human being, like human being health, not <laughs> athletic health. Yeah. Cause there's a difference between being healthy as an athlete and being healthy as a human. Um, and they're not always the same thing. So um, th- that's the biggest thing I learned is just the importance of being, uh, having that range of motion in all of your joints to stay healthy. Cool. So mobility. So it's almost like another word for flexibility or is that, would you, would you say that or, um, uh, or just yes like a range no. of range of motion? Yes and no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So flexibility um, at the, at the core. Yeah. They're kind of the same thing. But when I think of flexibility, I'm thinking like how far can I, you know, stretch in one motion? Whereas mobility yeah. is like how, um, you know, 
towards its proper range of motion because you can be too flexible. Okay, uh, um, yeah, I feel it. Yeah, uh, but range of motion is more like or mobility is like I have the proper range of motion in mm. you know, my joints. The way I see it. Okay, what are some practical ways that people can become more mobile? Uh, so there's, there's many ways and I am not the expert when it comes to this, <laughs> but, um, uh, I do. So I have an app called the virtual mobility coach. It's not my app. I utilize the app. It's made by Dr. Kelly Starrett, um, that I utilize a lot. And that I think is my key <laughs> to being more mobile because I can basically what the app does. It's like, um, my shoulder is tight. Like I can't raise my shoulder to, you know, this proper range of motion. So then I click on my shoulder in the app and it'll give me a few different exercises to actually do, um, get that range of motion. And most of those exercises, and here's kind of like the, the key to what I'm about to say here. Uh, most of those exercises aren't your typical, like stretching. It's not like, static hold um you know in a certain spot it's put a pressure point use some sort of like um like a physio ball or uh, not like the big blow-ups but like a lacrosse ball it's, they're not a lacrosse ball but you know something that hard um, yeah. put it on a point in wherever that is causing you problems or kind of a sticking point and then go through as much range of motion as you can with that joint. And then that yeah. kind of unlocks more range of motion. So that's kind of like the, the premise um, without getting you know too deep into uh, the physiology oh, yeah. and stuff. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to quickly grab my stuff. I'll be, I'll be right back. Give me. Uh, sure. So this is this is part of my recovery. Mm -hmm. So I, I usually roll on this. Um, yeah. So for those listening, it's like a a cylinder type of um, thing there. So uh, it's got like ridges, good for the back. I usually do a few rolls on that, and then if I've got um, yeah, like I think this is what this is what you're referring to, like something like yeah, something like this. Yeah, yeah. It looks Just like a, a, a small um, ball, like a hard tennis ball, essentially. Yeah. Yours has ridges on it. It, it looks like a kinky sort of thing, you know, but you, we don't want to go down that way. Um, it's like, it's, a, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's, it's definitely used for recovery, recovery only. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, what, do, what do you think of like ice baths or cold showers or things like that? Are you an advocate of those or? Um, so this is one of the things that kind of blew my mind. Um, icing is actually not good for recovery. Um, wow. I've learned. So, what icing does is it actually slows down the inflammation, uh, which we, the reason like the, the media tells you to ice is because like it reduces inflammation or that's what they claim. Uh, but studies after studies have shown that icing doesn't actually reduce the inflammation. It does. It just delays the inflammation, which is good because the inflammation is actually what's healing the um, you know, joint or the muscle. So you want the inflammation to come. What the issue is, it's the swelling that the inflammation causes. So as they have this waste product 
Um, so I'm not going to use actual physiology terms. I'm just going to use an analogy here. Um, but they have a waste product that comes from the inflammation. And that's what really causes kind of that soreness because it just sits there and doesn't have um, this. It doesn't return back to the body. It just kind of sits in the muscle or the joint. Um, so that's really like to recover faster. Um, that's what you want to get rid of. And icing doesn't get rid of that. It just delays it. Um, so I'm not for icing when it comes to trying to recover from a workout or an injury. The, the times that you may want to ice is if you have like a, a very severe damage, like if you're, you know, okay leg is broken in half and you're just trying to get to the hospital um you know you might want to ice then to prevent you know further like um tissue damage if it's open wound or if you have a screaming kid in the back and the only way to um you know keep him not screaming is to ice it then that's fine it's not gonna like you're not going to uh, hurt the healing process. You're just going to delay it, make it longer with icing. Um, so that's, that's kind of my take on that. Cold showers. Now cold showers is not the same as icing. Um, just because you're not sitting in that state long enough to have that effect. Um, so it's more of like a mental type of, uh, thing than anything. Uh, so I know people that, that do take ice baths that, don't believe in icing as a way to heal, but they take ice bath because it hurts and it's more of a mental resilience mental type of thing. Mental resilience. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So they'll do that at like the opposite time they work out. So if they work out in the afternoon, the ice uh, bath for a few minutes in the morning to get that mil mental resilience, but not mess with their physical recovery. Okay. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah, there you go, guys. Um, icing has not as proclaimed as what it what it's what it should be. So that's interesting. Yeah, and I've got I've got two episodes on the science of sports recovery that go uh, way deeper into that. And with Gary Rhinel, um, if you get a chance to look up Gary Rhinel, do that. <laughs> I will definitely. Yeah, for sure. And sleep. I know that sleep is a massive component of recovery. Yeah. What uh, I guess, what are some things that may inhibit a nice, proper uh, sleep, good night's sleep? What yeah. Are some things? Um, yeah. Having a child. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, yeah. Uh, this, that's probably the number one reason I'm sick right now is because I had a child six weeks ago and my sleeping schedule has just not been the same. Um, you know, some yeah. nights I get what I need, other nights I don't. Um, but I think that the main thing to, to think about with sleep is it's quality versus quantity. Uh, so you don't need to sleep like 11 hours is not better than nine hours. What I'm trying to yeah. say, it's like, once you get your quality of sleep, you're good. Now there's different things that affect quality of sleep and it's not necessarily things that like you're doing while you're sleeping. If you think about sleeping and you're like, I want to sleep good tonight. You know, once you fall asleep, you have no control over it. Right. So it's like you can't actively sleep better. It's things that you do while you're awake. So sleeping 
good is actually properly being awake leading up to your sleep. So, uh, and what I mean that by that is really a nighttime routine and just planning your sleep. So if I didn't have uh, a child at home that I was, you know, taking care of in the middle of the night, uh, I would wake up at the same time every morning, um, you know, regardless of when I went to bed. Yeah. So, because then you're getting used to that. And if I went to bed later, I would take a nap throughout the day or sometime in the day, usually that one to 3 PM. Cause that's naturally when you hit that lull anyways, for me, for other people, it might be a little different, but leaning up to sleep is probably the, the biggest thing. And the, the things you want to make sure that you do, I, I, if you're somebody who like has their brain racing, um, when they when their brain hits when their head hits the pillow one have a notebook by your bed so you can write down ideas when you have them and you can get them out of your head so then you can go to sleep but also journaling before you go to bed is another great way to just kind of decompress the day and right. to get that mental kind of state of okay this day is done i have my to-do list for tomorrow i don't have to you know think about what that is right now, I can just go to sleep. Um, and then the other thing is just the lighting. When you're um, going to bed, you know, turn off your TVs or put on, at least put on um, blue light blockers. So then you're getting in that mode of, you know, the sun's going down and um, you're, you're getting ready physically to sleep because before yeah. you know before we had electricity and tvs and mobile devices and stuff your your melatonin is connected to the blue light in in the air so when you wake up in the morning the sun uh, you know blasts blue light on you and you start to feel awake and then as it wanes the same thing it releases you know it's not as strong blue light so then you're starting to get sleepy um, when we bring in TVs and, you know, lights and uh, phones into our life, then they give off a lot of blue light and that can mess with kind of the melatonin part of it. So sure. I don't, I don't like taking outside supplements um, to sleep because then you start to come dependent on that. Yeah. Um, I'd rather just have a good nightly routine leading up to bed. Okay. And... Are you a fan of fasting, intermittent fasting, or anything along those lines? You know, I haven't, I haven't studied intermittent fasting um, enough to kind of have an opinion on it, whether it's right or wrong. Um, how would you describe it? Because I know that's kind of more of your realm. So you teach me. So, um, so my, my method that I adopt is, so I stop eating, uh, maybe 7 PM, 8 PM. And then your next meal isn't till you have a 16 hour window. So you don't eat breakfast. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I guess the, the main benefit is metabolic flexibility. So mm -hmm. it's about, uh, using, uh, instead of using, uh, like glucose for fuel, you're using fat as fuel. And yeah, there's just research behind that to really, mm -hmm. uh, that supports more efficiency. The, uh, apparently the body is more efficient in that state. Um, I'm just going off my subjective feelings. Like I feel sure. pretty, 
pretty good. So I don't know if it's a placebo, but um, I'm just happy to. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just continuing that that feeling. So, yeah. uh, and I don't feel like I need to eat as much. Um, I still feel like my energy is high. I'm, mm. I'm, uh, yeah. Do you get less cravings? Uh, cravings for like bad food. Is that what you mean? Or, um, just or... like, just like always eating. Like, I, I... um, I don't feel the need to always eat. I guess, yeah, the body's like really habitual. Like once it gets into a, into a stage where it's doing mm-hmm. the same thing over and over, it just keeps doing that same thing. Um, yeah, I feel like, yeah. So, uh, like I, I highly recommend it, not only for weight loss, but uh, just for clarity of mind. Like it, it's it's really good to sharpen the mind up, and uh, yeah, it's 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 good. Yeah, it's good. so I would definitely agree with like setting boundaries on when you eat because you don't want to eat like say you go to bed at nine o'clock. Like having ice cream at eight thirty is not you know ideal because you have to no. digest that and then no. you know it's going to give you this energy that you need to not have when you're falling asleep so like um part of the night routine is definitely setting a boundary of like okay no more uh nothing but water after this point um as an athlete i don't i i wouldn't um probably recommend waiting that long to eat especially because you're probably you might have something in the morning and then working out you know in, in the afternoon you definitely want to have some sort of fuel in your system because you're working on really breaking down the carbohydrates um and you know if you're relying on on fat which it might be great for marathon runners and really like long distance um, athletes or endurance athletes where they use a high volume of, of fat storage, um, you know, maybe intermittent fasting before, you know, before actually getting into your training uh, block or schedule might have some benefit if it does increase like your efficiency of fat burning. But you're going to go through so many calories throughout the day that um, I would just worry about you bonking rather than, um, you know, getting the the nutrients in in your need. If you were going to try it as an athlete, I'm, I'm like, um, so I come from a point of view as an athlete, obviously. uh, And a lot of people I talk to on my podcast are athletes. Um, So I would, I always suggest like trying things, you know, uh, yeah. if it's, if it's not going <clears> to <throat> harm you, you know, you, you can try it. And if yeah. that's something that you'd want to try, I would definitely plan your workouts then to, uh, be within that, like eight hours that you're actually eating and consuming. So maybe you start consuming, you know, something very light and then an hour or two later you go for your workout and then, you know, the last four hours of your eating window, like you're just eating a ton because then that's when your body is more most receptive to actually um, recover from the workout and needs that nutrients to do that. Otherwise, it'll yeah. um, do more damage. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, yeah. With, um, yeah, I'm not sure what the, what the studies show regarding like athletes and and fasting, I know that there's a there's an idea like train train low, compete high, compete high in glucose 
so yeah, I think it's still mixed. Like it's still a lot of mixed reviews um, regarding that. But um, yeah, man, like I, I'm not really competing on the on the track or the field. So I'm I'm using it for I guess productive means, for lack yeah. of a better word. Um, yeah. So. No, it's 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 cool. Um, all right. Well, what uh, I guess so you you you've got you're in the domain of of track and field. So what what are some of the recovery methods that you were using that in the track and field uh, after your events? Yeah. So <laughs> what I I'll kind of go through like what I was what I was using in college and what I've learned from those methods now um so the the foam roller that you kind of you brought out the cylinder with the the lugs on it um i did use those uh, as part of the recovery routine uh, now there's kind of mixed reviews on how well they actually work and um now but i think there's the right way to use them and kind of the wrong way the wrong way would just be like mindlessly rolling on it um, like if you're going to take your hamstring and just going back and forth on your hamstring, that's probably not the best way to utilize one. Um, uh, but to really get in deep with the spots that are, are causing you kind of either impingement or lack of range of motion, um, it kind of goes back to that mobility piece that it should be a tool to increase mobility. Um, okay. but you don't want to do it at the ex expense of, um, inhibiting the muscle so as you roll it as you roll back and forth then you start to get the muscle where it doesn't fire it as properly you're you're kind of damaging it uh, for lack of better term but you're supposed to the idea is that more mu that more blood gets to the area and then it heals you know better because uh, blood equals healing um, but what I've learned through some interview or interviews is that if you're going to like do the, the blood theory of increasing blood flows, like just get moving, be active rather than sitting down and, and rolling out, you'd be better at doing some sort of dynamic, um, warm up or, or cool down, um, going through dynamic stretches. And when I say dynamic stretches, all I mean is moving through, um, a range of motion in a, in a way that, you know, is going to increase the boundaries of your range of motion. So if you're, you know, walking with your knees to your chest, you're also pulling up your knees. So they're increasing that range of motion and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, so I did, I did do that in college. I didn't do it right in college. Um, another thing that I used is tart cherry juice. Um, so tart cherry juice has polyphenols in it. That's supposed to aid in the, uh, kind of breakdown of inflammation and, and that kind of stuff and make you less sore. Um, and that they ha actually have a lot of research on that that's been proven to be effective, at least in non-elite individuals. The, the okay. problem when it comes to research is it's hard to research the elite athlete. <laughs> um, it's yeah. easier to research like the common population. So... Uh, and this was actually my first episode on the science of sports recovery was about tart cherry juice. And 
basically the the guy that I was talking to, Dr. Tom Clifford, his stance on it was that it definitely will help with novel exercises. So if you've never ran in your life and you're going to go out and do three miles, you might want to down some tart cherry juice before and afterwards to help with the um, soreness afterwards. If you've been running, you know, um, for the last 10 years and you go out and do, um, you know, a fast 5k, it may not help as much. Um, so that's like a tart cherry juice. Some other things that I've used is just those balls that, um, you had brought up with the, um, you know, kind of tennis balls, lacrosse balls, therapy balls, those types of stuff. Um, and those were kind of the, the main things I was never, fortunately, I was never a big component of icing, um, in college because I was like, yeah. I don't like the way it feels. I don't like how I feel afterwards. Uh, yeah. And, and so it's just kind of, I guess, intuitive to me that it wasn't very helpful. Um, now I have proof that's not helpful, so that makes me feel better. <laughs> awesome. And what about yoga as a recovery method? Have you, yeah. have you kind of explored that idea? Yeah. Yeah, we use that in as a team as well. We did some yoga sessions. Um, I would say, like, there's there's a value in having a yoga instructor instructor that knows like what you're trying to accomplish with it. Cause you can go on okay. YouTube and, um, you know, look up different yoga routines and stuff that are going to be fine. Um, but if you really want to get the most out of yoga, I feel like you actually need somebody that knows like, okay, I'm coming in with a tight back and a tight hamstring. And it's because I don't have the range of motion in my quads or, you know, my abdomen or, or what have you there. Uh, yeah. Because then they're going to actually target those areas. Whereas if you're coming in and you're, you know, stretching or, uh, you know, actively stretching because yoga is more active um, stretching than passive most of the time. Uh, if you're doing that to the wrong areas, it can just exacerbate the uh, problem. Yeah, for sure. And uh, meditation. Are you a fan of meditation or did you ever try it in your career or yeah. Um, so meditation obviously looks different for everybody and how I, I think, um, and it comes with different connotations and, and that kind of stuff. When I think of meditation, I just think of like intentionally visualizing something, whether that be, you know, focusing on your breath, whether that be focusing on a race situation or a competition situation. Uh, and that's how I use meditation most often. Um, yeah. is actual visualizing the work that I was about to do and then go doing it. So leading up to a race, I would visualize that week of, I'd visualize, like I'd, I'd know who's in the field. I'd know kind of their times. I'd know my strategy going in to the race. And then I just visualize over and over and over like, okay, I'm going to be in the top four when it comes to, you know, 800 to go. I'm I'm going to be in second with, you know, 400 to go. And then I'm going to make my move, you know, with 150 for the win, um, you know, or, or just, you know, a sample like that. And then I just repeat that over and over, actual visualizing myself doing it, visualizing how 
like much pain I'd be in at different stages of the race because I've raced enough to know like this is how it's going to feel. Um, but then visualizing myself like staying strong, staying, you know, um, steady with my pace and then um, winning the, the race. And then when it comes to race day, I don't have to think at all. Um, because I've done all the mental work and I just go out there and I kind of turn my mind off and I just race. So then and I don't have race, to think yeah. about my body. I don't have to think about like the pain or the positions um, and that kind of stuff because that all takes um, physical energy. Your brain is a huge energy hog, like huge yeah. energy hog. So I've if you have before, to yeah. use your brain during the race, like you're at a severe disadvantage. So um, so you, if you, it's interesting because if you're not using your brain, uh, you're not really making that conscious decision, then what are you using in that you're almost like in this, uh, this flow state? I, I know it doesn't mm -hmm. really sound, it looks, sounds a bit airy fairy, but yeah. uh, what, what do you think of that? Because I definitely, yeah, like I know running, if, when you're in your breath, when you're in the moment, you're so present there's almost this element of dissipation, like you you disappear as a human being and you just go into this uh, realm. Um, yeah. What, yeah what do you, what's your take on that, the flow state? Um, the flow state is real. And if you're an athlete, like you've experienced it, if you just think of like uh, the best game or competition of your life and then you get the, the done and you're like, man, I, I, I didn't, feel like I made any decisions. My body just did it for me. Like that's yeah. flow state. And I think um, that's the beauty of flow state is like you've gone through the motions enough. You've made the decisions enough that like for me, when I was racing, I visualized it enough that I didn't have to make those decisions anymore. You yeah. know, and then there's races that I would come out of flow state Um or never get into flow state based on what happens prior to the race or just where I'm at with life at that point. Um, but the times I get into flow state, like all the decisions I had made ahead of time and it was just my body, you know, going through it. If you're, you know, a basketball player, you, you've studied, you know, the, the, like cuts and the positions and like, okay, the defender's there. So I'm not going to make the pass. Like you've gone through the scenarios enough that yeah. eventually it just kind of happens. Now that takes a lot of time in a sport to actually do that. Um, you know, because you have to have been there. I feel to enter flow state, you have to have actually experienced it before. And that's when meditation comes in. I feel is because you can be there without actually physically having to be in that situation. Yeah, for sure. I, I just want to kind of recall on my experience because I play a bit of competitive tennis and so, yeah, I've realized, yeah, I've realized that sometimes I do enter into that flow state but it's it's not by it's not by force. It's it's always by this like subtle shift in my mind. I'm I'm not trying to mm -hmm. force that state to come on. Uh, it just I just kind of enter into it, and I I compare it much like walking a tightrope. It's almost like this balancing act that you're doing with your mind, where you're you're staying stable, and uh, that's that's if I was to describe it in words, what the actual mental act is, that's the best way to yeah. describe it in words. Yeah, it's like balancing when, that tightrope. When you were in flow state, can you like 
when you think back at those competitions or those games or matches, um, how do they feel? Like, can you can you remember all the details, or is uh, it kind of fuzzy? Like, no, I remember all the details. It was um, it was like a tournament match, and I was playing some guy, and um, I just really wanted to win every point, and I was like this intense focus, and then that just disappeared. And it was just like yeah. a calm. It was like a calming presence. And I was just moving well, hitting the ball well, and I wasn't forcing anything. I wasn't thinking. Like usually I think a lot on the court. Where where, do, where am I going to hit the ball? But I was yeah. just like so present. And it was beautiful. It was, um, yeah, it was really a nice experience. Pleasant yeah. experience, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like sleeping, uh, you know, in our conversation earlier where you can't force the sleep. Like you can't be in sleep and say, I'm going to sleep harder. You know, it's what you do leading up to, uh, you know, the the competition that can help you get into flow state. But at the end of the day, it's something you just got to let happen and you can't force it. Yeah, it's it's so true. It's almost like an analogy for life. Like you, yeah, you can't. It's very difficult to to will things or make force things to come in existence. It's almost you effortlessly let things come to you. Almost. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, shout out to Stock Omelette. We got our first comment. The zone. All right. Sweet. Um. Someone just commented. Yeah, I'm 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 stoked because usually people I don't get many comments on this channel, but um, I'm uh, I'm stoked for that one comment, you know. So um, shout out to the name too, Stock Omelet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome, dude. All right, well, um, yeah, man. Like, uh, so just to like unpack your your field career, so you were in track and field, were you, or mm-hmm. what? What was the specific yeah. um thing that you were doing? So I ran. Uh, I, I started cross country my f- fifth grade year. So back in, I don't even know how old I was, but um, junior high basically. And, and then led into high school. I was kind of the, the mile uh, 800 was kind of my specialties. And I, I was number two in the mile in South Dakota, my state in my senior year in in high school and then I went to the University of Sioux Falls and continued to run the mile and there was a little bit of a um, shift when I went to college because in in South Dakota there's not a huge like competition field it's not like um, a high populated area like you know New York or California or Colorado uh, where you have all this competition with really really talented um, folks in South Dakota, you get one or two or three that are, you know, pretty good. And then, um, it quickly drops off. Uh, but when I went to college, I was like, yeah, I was just another fish in the pond. It was like, yeah. <laughs> everybody could run a 420 mile. And if you couldn't run a 420 mile, like you were slow. Uh, and that's what yeah. I started coming in at and just kind of worked my way up to uh, a 410 mile is what I eventually, uh, ran at my junior year and I was um, a quarter of a second make off of making nationals. Um, and I, I was an all American in the DMR, uh, my freshman year, we've went to cross country, uh, nationals, uh, multiple yeah. years. And, uh, as a team, we placed fifth my senior year, 
uh, which was pretty exciting as well. So that was kind of a, a brief overview of the, the whole thing. But my main my main race and what I did most was the mile. Okay. Well, and what, I guess we touched on it before, but like, does anything go through your mind when you're racing or you're just in autopilot, you're almost in like an autopilot or? Uh, yeah, man, like, I, you- I'm in I'm an autopilot. If You're I have to think about it, like then I'm screwed. It, yeah. um, what does go through my mind is my race plan. Um, so what yeah. I visualize prior to uh, that is going through my mind. So um, okay. for instance, if I just kind of walk you through a, a very typical um, championship style race, uh, the field, the whole field will start slow. So you'll have, you know, a few guys that can run a four ten mile, uh, and then you'll have guys that can run four fifteen, four twenty, and stuff. But if you're a runner, you know that if you're in the lead, it's harder than being in second place or third place because you have that wind that you're fighting mm, up front. Yeah, the wind. Yeah, uh, and it's so much easier to just tuck in behind somebody, even if you're indoor. So whether it's indoor or outdoor, because of the wind is still or the air is still so you're still cutting through that wind uh so most of the time the pace will go out in like 420 430 like mile pace yeah and then it'll pick up on the second 800 uh so usually my race plan is is something like going where do i want to be at 800 and how far am I comfortable letting the lead go? So am I comfortable starting in last place and then, you know, working my way up? Sure. Am I comfortable, you know, starting in second place and just hanging out until, you know, the, the kicking starts? Sure. But I know I want to be in, you know, second or third or the top four with 800 to go or within a certain okay. distance of the lead with 800 to go because I know that's when things are starting to move as um, a race. Sorry, when I say move, pick up and, and pace. Um, so you'll typically have the the people that aren't as good as um, sprinting at the end, like don't have that top speed. They'll make the moves first. And typically I'll know that going into the race, who's going to, you know, kind of do what and stuff. So you're watching certain people. Uh, But then I just key off of that. And then I'll have, you know, I know where I want to be at 800. I'll probably know where I want to be at 400 to go. And then uh, I know when I want to make like my final kick. Um, So most of the time my final kick got uh, less and less as I got older um, I started kicking like at four or 500 meters to go. And then I quickly realized that you can only run top speed for about seven to 10 seconds anyway. So it doesn't make sense to start that far back. Um, so what I just started to doing and what, why I got really good at actually racing people was I just let them do all the work and make all the decisions. And I really had, like one decision and that was when to go, when to make okay. my final kick, which was typically around that 150, 160 uh, meter mark to go. Uh, so I knew like I didn't have to make any decisions with taking the lead or the pace or you know anything like that because I just knew like, oh, I'm going to be in fourth or I'm going to be in second. I'll just do what, you know, 
everybody else does what for pacing. Um, so that's kind of w- what would go through my head. <laughs> yeah. So that, so just correct me if I'm wrong. See, it's a one mile event, is it? That, yeah. So it, indoor it's one mile, um, okay. or 1609 meters and then outdoor it's a 1500 meter. Yeah. Because, uh, because, um, I'm just trying to think like with your, uh, with your running, it's almost like a combination of, uh, would you say like anaerobic and aerobic or because that, that kick you're pushing. Yeah. You have to have a lot of strength. Uh, but I guess when you're pacing around, you're almost, yeah. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. So the 800 meter is like the first race that you actually have to rely on some aerobic capacity. And then, but the mile is almost a split, like 50, 50 of aerobic capacity versus anaerobic. Cause you're running at such a high speed. I mean, uh, to put it in perspective, if you don't know what, like, uh, in Australia, do you go by kilometers or okay. Um, well, Okay, so this, if you're listening, you'll have to convert this because I'm not familiar with kilometers. But if you if you would go um, like 14.8 miles per hour, like yeah. that's how fast a 410 mile is. So just most treadmills won't even go that fast. But if you find a treadmill that would go that fast, like just get on, hop on, and and you'll kind of see like just the speed that that is. Okay. All right. Um, moving on, we've got a question from one of our uh, viewers. Let's see, has this come up? Uh, Stock Omelette, enjoying the stream, lads. What do your meals look like a night before a big race or a big tennis match? So um, maybe uh, you can sure. hit that first chase. Yeah. Yeah. So the night before, um... I didn't worry too much about the night before, depending on when the competition was. So if it's right away, like 9, 10 a.m. in the morning, then I'd pay more attention to kind of my my meal night before. And I'm going to eat to like I'm full, but not overstuff myself because I don't want that to, you know, mess with me in the morning. Um I would typically have something that wasn't greasy, that wasn't, uh, you know, going to cause a lot of indigestion, like burgers and and fries or, um, you know, lots of pizza and stuff. But I wasn't too picky on what I ate the night before, as long as I've had it before in my life. At that point, I was not going to try anything new. Um, So there's there's that. The, The thing that I was pretty religious about as far as meals before a big competition is four hours. Um, well, three to four hours, depending on, you know, when the competition was, I'd have a one and a half to two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I have that every single time before <laughs> a race, because I knew that my stomach, like I'd get to the race and I'd feel good. Like my body would just feel good. I didn't have any yeah. indigestion and it was something that I knew worked and I just stuck with it. And I know it has the carbs and it has, you know, some of the proteins, um, with it. So like, I just use that every single time Two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Oh, <laughs> uh, the peanut butter. Oh, I love it. That's, that's, that's great. Um, yeah. 
I guess flipping the script and, and moving into the tennis world, um, like I, I kind of, I just eat. I guess the night before, I'll have make sure protein, carbs. Um, I'm not a vegan or yeah, I'm, I'm I am a carnivore. Uh, so I'll have a bit, maybe a steak or something. Um, and then the day of, uh, I always eat two hours before a match, and I'll have oats. Uh, yeah, I don't want to be feeling too heavy. Um, and I feel like I try and reach that stage where I'm not super full and I'm not um, not famished. I'm not hungry. I'm like in that mm-hmm. happy medium, happy medium zone. Uh, so I can still move around the court. So yeah, that's uh, thanks for the question there, Stock Omelette. Appreciate it a lot. Uh, I have had some of my best races when my stomach was growling before the race. So there's that. Not that yeah, there's any right. science to that, but I'd rather be hungry than too full. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, on that note, uh, Chase, I think I might call it quits, uh, finish the podcast. Uh, it's been been awesome speaking with you. Um, learned a few things. Hopefully, the audience have learned a few things as well. So. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for having me. No worries. And how can people, if people want to get in touch with you, how, how can people connect with you? What's the best way? Yeah, so the, the best way is go to my website, www.scienceofsportsrecovery.com. Uh, that's where you'll find all my uh, podcasts, uh, that kind of stuff. Otherwise, you can, um, if you wanted to know more about um podcasting stuff if that's more of your realm you can email me at jace at perfectmypodcast.com um, those are the two best ways i i would say instagram but i've for whatever uh, reason instagram kind of like hacked or somebody hacked my profile and took it down um so i'm in the middle of getting that back up and going but that's where i would post most of my workout stuff and things that i'm learning from the science of sports recovery so for now just go to my website uh eventually i'll have instagram again so if you're listening to this and you know in the future i'll probably have instagram and it will either be j cheese j-a-e cheese uh, is my handle if i get it back otherwise i'll have to make a new handle i'll just use jace.craft awesome damn you hackers you bloody yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no so annoying no 